welcome to another edition of Look Who's Talking, all the latest news about the life of Christchurch, New Malden. I'm Anna Larkin, and here on the show this month, I have regulars Stephen Kurt. Hello. And Nathan Larkin. Hey there. Plus our special guest for this month, drummer, singer, preacher, and reader in training, Tim Davis. Should I say hello four times in that case? For that? Yes, please. Yes. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, and hello. <laughs> in this month's show, we're going to be looking back at October's sermons on developing a Christian attitude to different things, followed by a discussion of Halloween and how Christians should approach it. With Tim on the show, we'll get some insight into what it's like to be a reader in training. We'll also be talking about the third volume of our parish history and how all of us can be a part of contributing towards this. And then finally, we'll talk about what's coming up in November in the preaching programme, but also in our very first murder mystery evening, Who Killed the Vicar? Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> so on to our first topic then, which is the sermons which we had across all three of our services during October. Um, the sermon series was called Developing a Christian Attitude to... Dot, dot, dot. Um, and these sermons covered various subjects, including developing a Christian attitude towards food, towards mental health, towards those we find difficult, um, the, the refugees in Calais, Islamic extremism, growing older, and several other topics. Um, lots of these talks made quite an impact, so I'd like to start by asking everybody to pick out which sermon they thought had a particular impact on them, and maybe say a bit about why they found it helpful. So Nathan, if I come to you first, which one was your favourite, or which really stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's just because it was the most recent and freshest in my mind. Mm -hmm. But um, but Katie um, preached on Sunday about developing a Christian attitude towards disappointment. Yeah, and I thought that was really good. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was great to, to hear it being spoken about uh, yep. in, in church. There's lots of things that, that I mean, uh, sometimes when I speak, you think this might be relevant to one or two people here, or some sermons are uh, more resonant perhaps than others. But, uh, you know, with disappointment, I think that's something that everyone there could, yeah. could relate to having experienced. And, and uh, she didn't shy away from, you know, she included things like, you know, um, not uh, not being able to have children or not being able to find a partner or being sacked from work or, you know, things that lots of people struggle with. And, and um, yeah. Jealousy she brought in, didn't she? Yeah, well, that's, really what I, that's what I yeah. find. She talked about the the things that it brings out in us and the, and the kind of risk and the things to be aware of. And, and yeah, just really I recommend anyone to, to get online, have a listen. thought Katie ha handled it really brilliantly. Yep. But, and, and she was just really brave. And, and by someone who's had tough things to cope with herself. Absolutely, know, which, um, yeah. Which was, you know, all part of what I think made it a good sermon. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Tim? Which one did you enjoy? You're not allowed to say your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> I've got Tim's later. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I, I suppose, yeah, I've just turned 40. And so the sermon that I found the most interesting and relevant to me was developing a Christian attitude towards getting older. I, I'm, um, I'm fascinated you chose that, Tim, yeah. because uh, when I think I you're gave probably that the youngest person at the service <laughs> that was preached at. <laughs> when I gave that one to Carolyn, I was assuming it would be a really good message for those in the 70s and 80s. You know, I didn't think this sprightly young 40-year-old. Well, it was a really, really great talk. Really interesting. Um, just looking at you know, this almost exposing, I guess, the, the lie that we tell ourselves that you know, the older you get, the less you matter or the less you're able to do things, the mm. less capable you are. And um, I think what um, really I took away from Karen's talk was, you know, we think about this, 
every one of us, we're told, we're made in the image of God. You know, whatever age we are, um, we're just as important to God, each and every one of us. And, you know, you may not be as active. You may not be able to, you know, do cartwheels up and down the street like you did when you were a seven-year-old <laughs> when you are 70. I don't think I've ever Yeah, I have. I've been able to do it since I was 10. It's, uh, yeah, but, you know, it, just because you may not be able to do certain things, you know, God is timeless. God doesn't mind if you're eight or you're 80 or 18. God loves you all the same. If you're made in the image of God and loved by God, that is through you, through your life forever. Um, and God goes on loving you the same. And it, it's, uh, as Karen was speaking, I was reminded of this um, story that Stuart Downey, our former vicar, once told me. And it was thinking about, you know, God, there's so much you can offer, so much you can do. In this society, I guess, where we think it's very youth-centered and you're mm. trying to be live and everything, um, Stuart just saying, you know, the, the, one of the best youth leaders he ever knew wasn't someone who was a uh, hip, young, 18-year-old straight out of school. It wasn't a perfect married couple in their kind of late 30s, early 40s. It was a lady who was 80 years old, and mm. yet she was just there determined. She loved it, and she was so fantastic. And the reason she was so good to Stuart is because she loved the Lord, and that was what she had the heart to just love God and love those young people. So, yeah, I think... It's interesting you really say that, because I remember Stuart saying... Um, to me when I was his curate, that he thought they should only make people bishops uh, in their 60s. Mm. Uh, he said, because uh, then you're not scared about uh, making tough decisions. Mm. Now, there may be other disadvantages <laughs> at that age. Um, but he felt that people who were younger, bishops in their late 40s or 50s, were going to be a bit gutless compared to people who had nothing to lose at the end of their careers. That's interesting. So it, it, was, you know, it was an interesting theory. Yeah, because at the minute they're just about, they're, they're kind of... Vatican Council deciding that they might put an upper age limit on someone who can become Pope. Oh, wow, didn't they? Yeah, that's one of the things they're discussing. Because it's such a faff too. every time they die and they've got to have all that thing. <laughs> well, the last one retired, didn't they? He did, yeah. he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah no, I think I, I completely agree with the whole aging thing. And, you mm. know, I, I love having um, some of the kind of older members of the congregation come along to help at youth mm. events. In fact, at one stage we had. Um, it was Pete Everett come along to help an encounter with mm. Ruth Henson. Um, and Pete had been Ruth's youth leader <laughs> when, yeah. when Ruth mm. was their age. Mm. And so the kids to be able to see like three generations of, mm. uh, you know, of people there mm. all at Christchurch. And when I haven't listened to the sermon yet, w- one of the interesting things about growing old, though, in terms of the Bible is the amount of characters who don't finish well. Yeah. And I think we can sometimes assume that the older people get as The wiser Christians. they are. Yeah, the, the more godly yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, but I think it is actually quite a challenge to people mm. as they grow older mm. to mm. not... Um, to grow old gracefully? Yeah, to grow old gracefully. We did have a sermon series on that a few years ago, mm. um, growing old gracefully at 11 with um, looking at characters in the Bible, some of whom did and some of whom didn't. Yeah, a few mm. growing yeah. old disgraceful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what about you, Stephen? Which was your favourite? Well, actually, uh, not to embarrass him too much, but Tim's, uh, which was at the 9.30 service, Tim hasn't done many 9.30 sermons. I think he did why I'm a Christian. He may have mm-hmm. done one or two others. But Tim had to do uh, developing a Christian attitude towards a difficult person in my life. Mm. Um, and what really, I think, stood out about this, not just to me, but to lots of people at the service, and a lot of people said they found it incredibly helpful, was the way in which Tim unpacked what love was all about using Romans 15, mm. uh, I think the message translation. Um, and it was just full of lots of uh, practical help. I mean, one of the practical points that Tim made was when a friend has upset you mm. and the importance of 
having it out with that friend rather than going gossiping to other friends who then yeah. only get your mm, point yeah. of view mm. and who are bound to, um, by the way you report it, back you up and make you feel okay. Yeah. And that was just one example of, of several really practical down-to-earth examples that Tim gave. And one of the real things I really like about um, coming up with the sermon topics and giving people these tough subjects to preach on mm. is then sitting in the congregation and hearing the way they've gone about it, but sitting amongst the people who they're you know, speaking to. And you can tell what's making resonance by the way people respond and people's body language during it. Um, and that sermon really did you know, make a fantastic uh, difference. It was, it was uh, you know, everything, really, I think a 9.30 sermon needs. In the, in the 9.30 service, I hope, can be a massive atmosphere of warmth and welcome, incredibly uplifting, but then really relevant and challenging. Yeah. And, and you know, trying to completely take biblical truth to areas of real relevance and rawness for people. Um, and it's you know it's good we've got Facebook and things like that because people put their comments up about how helpful mm. they found it. I mean, was it an encouraging experience, Tim? It was, yeah, um, yeah. It's the example you gave about the um, the idea of somebody having falling out with the best friends, and then just essentially going gossiping and moaning to other friends about it. it was something I was sort of thinking about and reading and writing, and I thought it's just going to make people just really uneasy not want to hear this and actually no, yeah, there people off. coming up to me after and saying yeah I absolutely was totally doing that last night I was like mm. okay I'm so glad well, what so, was so yeah. good I think about it's it a is trap that we all fall into mm. don't we because it's, mm. e it's easy to rationalise it or to think oh I'm just getting it off my chest and then I'll feel better about it mm. and, I, and then it, it's good if I talk to someone else because it means I'll treat mm. that person more nicely I'm not going to explode at them and it's quite easy to justify it to yourself yeah. when really you're exactly right you're you're telling someone else because you want them to agree with you and exactly. join in saying yeah, well, it was very yeah. British as well yeah. isn't it to you know kind of avoid yeah. the conflict at all cost but go you know yeah. and, and but it was and a screw tape letters moment if mm. uh, you know you've read screw tape letters where C.S. Lewis absolutely puts his finger on what's really going on mm. in situations and you see when I asked him to do that sermon I was thinking of you know the boss who's a nightmare the colleague who just is not a misery mm. And what was really fantastic, one of the many things that was good, was the way that Tim actually went for something that was unexpected. Most of us wouldn't think about mm. friends that we find difficult. Um, and, you know, so, so that brought the challenge. And yet we all have them. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, Tim, did you have a particular person in mind as you wrote the sermon? And more importantly, were they there to listen to it? <laughs> and if I um, said that, you insist that <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, um, I must say I didn't have a particular person in mind. Um, I, I, was, I did actually wonder when I was writing it, I thought, is there somebody I'm particularly thinking on? I thought, well, no, <laughs> that's not actually helpful because... I didn't really have someone I had mm. by a particularly different in my life, but it was more the case of there's just so many people or so many situations we find ourselves in where you know, the difficult person in life is often not just one person. It can be a multitude. It could be a really difficult person we work with or it could be a really difficult person just we, that we, no, we know at church or socially. Mm. or um, And they, it, as I say, it just comes in all shapes and sizes, the challenges in our life and the people who influence our lives and the effect they have on them. So, yeah, I didn't have one particular person the in mind. The other thing that really helped was, uh, I think, where you acknowledge problems and then summon us to make a Christian response to them. So in one mm. part, you talked about people who drain you, you know, people who seem to be permanently negative. Mm. 
And I think having sort of acknowledged that, people can say, well, yeah, there are people like that. But then you summon mm. us to love those people in a different, gentler way. Uh, and about they may never change, but we can by changing mm. our outlook. So I think it was one of those talks that really was um, very strong in being honest about how difficult it is, but then appealing to all of us to make the very best sort of effort that we can. Um, and, you know, I love the bit about discovering beauty in everyone, looking for the best, trying to see people as God sees them. Um, knowing the hardships in someone's life can give you an entirely new perspective and understanding of their personality and so on. Mm. Mm. So it was a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well and yeah, it's absolutely no pressure for the next time I'm breaching them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> none at all. The only way is down to him after that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> You'll be like, um, what's her name, Julia Roberts. Every time she does a great film, she does a turkey next one. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, one of the sermons that we haven't talked about um, is developing a Christian attitude to Halloween, Ooh. which Stephen uh, did just last Sunday. So Halloween is tomorrow night. So by the time this podcast goes out, it will, it will have passed. Um, but I'd like to talk about Halloween for a bit and what a Christian response it should be so I'll come to you first Stephen since you preached on it um but first of all can you just fill us in on the on the roots of Halloween the background because I've I've heard a lot of different explanations over the years about what what sort of Halloween came from yeah well in the middle ages they decided that the first of November would be all saints day and the second of November would be all souls day before that they'd had a bit of variation on it that became fixed at a certain point in the Middle Ages. And All Saints Day, um, saints were also known as hallows, where the word hallowed comes from. And so the day before All Saints Day was known as All Hallows Eve, which then got contracted into Halloween. Um, I mean, the basis of it was very much in medieval Catholic theology, where All Saints Day was where you remember those who were especially holy who'd gone straight to heaven. All Souls Day was where you remember those in purgatory. So okay. from right. that oh, I'd always view, wondered what the difference was. Yeah, from that point of view, I think uh, Protestants and a lot of Catholics today would want to question uh, a lot of that sort of thinking. Um, but of course, Halloween, as it develops, gets you know quite quickly beyond those roots. I'm not sure many people today are thinking about you know trying to help hmm. souls in purgatory mm. no. on Halloween. Um, and it's become more a sort of... Um, well, I would argue that Halloween, uh, from being something fairly small when I was a kid, you know, November the 5th was much bigger when I was a child. Guy Fawkes mm. Night was, you know, which is, you know, questionable in terms of its anti-Catholic roots. Um, when I was a child, November the 5th was the big one. Halloween was, was much smaller. Today it seems to have completely reversed, you know, mm. on Strictly Come Dancing, when it's the Halloween week, they have a Halloween-themed dance. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. They? Uh, mm. But they, they would never do that with November the 5th. They're saying that it's, it seems weird that we still celebrate November the 5th. Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's an odd thing. Well, probably to celebrate. if we didn't have fireworks, I don't think we necessarily would actually. Yeah, I think it's become fireworks. I mean, I'm, I I wouldn't be surprised to find in another generation's time that the fireworks become a Halloween thing and November the fifth right. gone. Well, you yeah. do it's, tend it's to get fireworks kind of every night from. from a few, we've had them the last few nights yeah. already. Yeah. yeah, all through Halloween. There are fireworks shops open all year, mm. aren't there? Well, yeah. you need it to be fairly dark, don't you, to enjoy them? Mm. But anyway, Halloween, I think today has become something more where. Um, I think I think it's the sort of thing about dressing up and going out after dark. I think that's what children like. Mm. Um, 
I think the idea of going out when it's past bedtime or when it's dark outside, I think, is quite an attraction for children. And then dressing up as witches and... And surely it's just grown because it's a huge opportunity to sell people junk mm. and costumes and cards so. and you know it, I guess so but on some level it's resonating with people mm. isn't it there's some level where it is exciting to dress yeah, up yeah I think there's a yeah. and, and I think um, and you don't get that many other opportunities to dress up yeah and making yourself look sort of a bit scary mm. for a child probably means you're being a bit doing a sort of grown up type thing I don't know there may be that going yeah. on it's interesting when I was growing up you know my parents are fairly anti-Halloween when I was young but um, one of my best friends when I was in infant school his mother was American so you know they, she'd come from this big tradition where Halloween was a you know, big thing in the mm. States um, I must have only been about age seven I think at the time but we'd go around after school to my friend's house and this is only about four o'clock in the afternoon, and you know, we're dressed up in sort of makeshift costumes. And um, uh, the, a, couple, a couple of the neighbours had been pre-asked and worn out. Would my son and daughter and a couple of their friends be able to come around and visit you for sort of some festive trick or treating? And they are happy to do that. And I think that you know, that that seemed kind of a nice, harmless way to do it. It wasn't after dark. It was you know something you can involve yourself in. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Is he? get older you see more and more people it's it becomes that almost sort of slightly sinister aspect of it um when it is sort of very much you know, you, it has to be dark and creepy and uh, mm. yeah i mean i my, my problem with halloween uh really lies less in its roots as i say i don't think uh you know it sort of confuses people about purgatory and things like that <laughs> which i think its roots you know came out of that confusion and I wouldn't say that Halloween, particularly in New Malden, uh, develops within kids an unhealthy fascination with the occult. I don't think so, anyway. There are other parts of the country, like Lewis in Sussex, where, mm. where it is far more linked to modern-day witchcraft. But they've got things like that all year round. They have, yeah. Just yep. for yep. Halloween. But the, my major problem with Halloween, I think, really, is that I think it's a bit symptomatic of a trivialization of evil. And what I said in the sermon, I've said in other sermons, like the one on Islamic extremism, is that I think we're basically living in a culture which really struggles to take evil seriously, doesn't really want most of the time to acknowledge that evil exists uh, until something terrible happens, something like 9-11, something like the Soma murders, something like Harold Shipman's uh, murders. Uh, and then, because we're not used to thinking about evil in any depth or with any profoundness, we then, I think, tend to make an immature response to it. And we tend to have a very simplistic answer to how we deal with evil. And so I think the problem with Halloween, I think, is that it's adults and children uh, playing along with the idea that evil is rather a superstitious, old-fashioned thing that we can... Uh, yeah, kind of silly Not thing that you, can, you, that you can opt into for a day and out yeah. of again. Yeah, and I think we do try and laugh at some of the things we're scared of as a way of showing we're not scared of them. So I, th I think it won't do much harm, I think, as long as parents are trying to, at an age-appropriate level, teach their children about the true nature of evil. Mm. Mm. And the problem is that, you know, harshly assessed middle-class children going around dressed up as witches and devils while there are people starving to death as a direct result of our lifestyles. You know, it's, it, it could be argued that Halloween is, is sort of trying to uh, trivialise evil to help us to avoid the evil that we're all bound up in. Mm. So, so that would be my critique of it, really. I, mm. I'm not 
you know, I, I think when children come calling my door, I try and, mm. you know, be maximum enthusiasm at them, give them sweets and that sort of thing, rather than coming over as a po-faced vicar. Uh, but I think it is symptomatic mm. of a lot of confusion uh, in our society about evil. Mm. I think that's one of the hardest challenges, I think, for people at church, is how do you respond to trick-or-treaters coming around and I think my, my mother had a great way of dealing with it instead of, I remember one year she did the whole kind of no I'm sorry don't agree with it and you should be in church you know just to say mum please don't do this <laughs> there's people I know out there come on uh, but the following years it was um trick-or-treat here have some malted milk biscuits they never came oh. back again <laughs> <laughs> well I'm afraid I go for I, I, I buy a big tub of sweets and and put a pumpkin outside the house I don't carve a cross in it or anything too extreme um, but actually, I do quite like seeing these children when they call, and they are full of enthusiasm, mm. and, and they've made lots of effort, and it's not, you know, it's not actually their fault that confusion about... And someone, someone said, is it true that around here, that like a pumpkin outside your house is an indicator as to whether you want a caller or not? Yeah, yeah that's so. why we always, I always put our pumpkin in the garden on the back door. Have you not noticed? What, so that no one can see yeah, it? Yeah, because we always pretend to be out on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> so you celebrate Halloween, but don't welcome callers? Well, <laughs> yeah. Ca- carving a pumpkin's quite but fun. I quite like seeing all these kids, because some of them all recognise me. Mm. And, and I think then it's particularly important that what they get is enthusiasm, because they think, I've dressed up. I and they don't think they're being evil, do they? No, no, no. They think it's all no. just a bit of fun. No, absolutely. So I think... I like the ones who dress up as stuff that's not, you know, not Halloween related, all the you know, the ones who dress up like Postman Pat yeah. or Frozen or whatever. I mean, it is interesting. You see young children dressed up as a devil and you do think at those points, mm. is this a good thing to dress up a five-year-old I as a devil? I would find that weird. I mean, I don't <laughs> yeah. have children, but I would find... I Dressed think up as a devil, would, good. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you find that weird. Last <laughs> year, last year uh, we saw this little girl who was dressed as a zombie. She freaked me out. She looked like something out of The Walking Dead and it was, it was really odd and I... And I did feel a bit uncomfortable being that scared of a small child. She looks looks really freaky looking. Some of the witch costumes, the kids can look a lot older than they are. Mm. And so I think that's part of the attraction for for some of them, you know, that you're putting on makeup and you're you're dressing up um, in a way, you know, that's quite sophisticated for some of them, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the whole thing's incredibly confused back home in Northern Ireland. We we get them coming around and they don't say trick or treat. They sing a song that, now that I've moved here, I've realised it's about Christmas. It's like Halloween is coming and the goose is getting fat or something, but that's apparently a Christmas song, but mm. they yeah, sing that. Is, yeah. And they ask, uh, please put a penny in the old man's hat. If you haven't got a penny, a hapenny will do. If you haven't got a hapenny, yeah. we'll put your window through. <laughs> 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 Very Irish. Yeah, I think they replaced the God bless you, but and then also they don't burn uh, Guy Fox on a um, yeah. bonfire in Northern Ireland. They, they burn the Pope. Yep. <laughs> they yeah. like stuff Pope. So Pope Francis would be actually burnt his effigy, would it? I, I don't think they even. Do you think they make it look it? like act- the actual right. current I, pope? They that, just put it on and call it how pope. detached the whole thing is. It's yeah. just anti-Catholic mm. without really thinking what even a Catholic is or who yeah. a Catholic is or what that means. So, yeah, yeah it's 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 a bit of an odd time of year, really. Um, <laughs> Would competi- you say it's more evil to dress up like a witch and ask for sweets, or to make a straw man say that it's after a real human and set fire to it? I'd say the latter. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But. Um, yeah, as, as I say, my my problem is not that children dressing up as a witch is going to so much do them any massive harm, uh, so much as I say it helps, I think, just trivialise the subject. Mm. Yeah, dodge means. a serious yeah, dodge uh, a discussion. Serious, you know, and yeah. it's sort of very middle class thing to do, really, you know, to, to, mm. to dodge the really serious issues by 
making straw men in a different sense. Yeah, dressing it up in consumerism. It's yeah. And then, of course, you do you do hear of, unfortunately, it is really rare that it happens, but I, th- I think it's true to say that crime and vandalism does go up on Halloween. Right. Um, around here, it's not a massive problem. Mm. Um, and I, I've never come across it, but I have spoken to several people just this last week, actually, who have said that damage was done to their house oh, or really? to their property. Yeah. yeah um, on, on Halloween. Mm. And... Uh, you know, they didn't think it was a coincidence that yeah. it was that. So, um, yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway, if we move on to our mm-hmm. next topic now, which is training for readership. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think we've got this right that a reader <coughs> is somebody who is specially authorized to preach sermons and lead services. So, not all of our preachers here at Christchurch are readers officially yep no, some of them are unauthorized which technically mm-hmm. isn't allowed yes i think you should say that as you introduce them. <laughs> <laughs> only two at the moment yeah so. so um a few months ago we had katie loffman on the show and she was speaking about her experience of being a reader and then becky mills was licensed to be our second reader just a couple of weeks ago um but we've got tim mm. now who is still in training um, but will soon be a reader. When are, when are you due to finish? Uh, well, it's interesting. Um, you had Katie talking about her experiences of lay readership, and even though she was only training sort of three years ago, um, it's completely different now. The training would <laughs> not completely different, but uh, so already. very different. So I'm now I'm on a four-year course for training, but I'm officially licensed as a reader after three years. So uh, this time next year, hoping all goes well, I should be licensed as a reader. I'll still have one final year of study and training to go. But yeah, as Becky Mills was the other day, wasn't exactly. She? Yeah. She got uh, well, that's will interesting. We will you get a pretty scarf as well. Um, even I'm I'm actually going to buy the full-on set of robes. I think I want to I want to <laughs> you know that that first Sunday you in church. Bits around, I do. I want to try and play the drums. It's actually interesting that yeah, it's part of my training. They, we never really refer to lay readers anymore. Uh, we're called licensed lay ministers because the office of reader, what it used to involve um, sort of many, many years ago when people would actually go around and be able to read the gospel and lead services, particularly in rural parishes where there might not be enough clergy to go around. Um, it doesn't really happen now. You know, people are literate. They can read. They, they don't need mm. to have the gospel read to them. So I will officially be licensed by the bishop to lead and preach in the absence of an ordained minister, I think is my official um, okay. thing. So, I yeah. know reader is an odd title. I will confess that when I first started attending in Anglican Church, mm. I thought a reader was someone who did the Bible reading. I think it is because yeah. the service was read. Um, yeah. And also, I think I said when Katie Loughlin was on the show that there was a time when you could only preach your own sermon if you had an MA. And so anyone who didn't have an MA had to read homilies that were written for them. This is going yeah. back before the, refor- you know, around the time of the Reformation mm. and before. They had MAs then? Yeah, mm. absolutely. So someone with a master in arts mm. uh, or a master what in arts. What was the reason for that? I think Just because that you wouldn't have well, anything no, interesting to say. You know, clergy weren't trained in theological colleges mm. and stuff like that. Mm. So I think it was that they thought that the the sermons that should be delivered were ones written by people who understood theology, mm. uh, because most of the clergy, you know, fairly low standard of education. Mm. So they would read sermons or homilies written by Cranmer mm. or by other. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. So you know, mm. preaching only really takes off as a as mm. a real skill from from the time of the Reformation onwards. Um, 
And so I, so I. So would I they have been allowed to change bits they didn't agree with? Probably not officially. <laughs> I'd imagine there was there were, there were no, a lot of editing going Yeah, on. there were no sound <laughs> systems to record them in those days. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, uh, well, the word of mouth would have yeah. gone back to the bishop. Uh, but actually, yeah, my training still very much involves a lot of academic study. Um, there's sort of two parts to training to be a lay reader. One is majority of it seems to be all the time spent uh, in evening classes every Monday up at Southwark Cathedral, um, and the different modules and things I'm learning. And I think I oh, I won't have an MA at the end of this but I'll have a graduate diploma which is kind of degree level anyway um, but that's just one side of it I mean, it's fascinating it's, it's incredibly demanding if you've got a full-time job like I do and you're essentially studying for a part-time degree level yeah. um, qualification and I'm meant to be doing sort of 20 hours a week of study and reading um, which see, yeah, it always seems to be condensed into a few solid all-nighters when it comes to finishing essays. Um, and also, quick reminder to Stephen at this point that I really do need to read your bookcase for a current module. Yeah, those essays look pretty demanding. They, they are. Um, which one are you going for? Uh, the essay I'm doing, uh, the current module I'm doing is Issues in Biblical Theology. So we're kind of studying you know, the last 100, 200 years, or no, through a few hundred years worth of biblical mm -hmm. theology. And I'm doing an essay which is looking at the concepts of sacrifice and purity in the Old and New Testament and how they relate to our current doctrine of atonement. Right. If anyone out there is listening and would like to help me on that one, <laughs> I really good. Yeah. Whose current doctrine of atonement? That's uh, yeah, the question. Right, yeah. it's a uh, that is a very biblical theology question. Whose doctrine of atonement? Whose Bible? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the, as well as the academic training, there's a lot of the what they call the ministerial formation. That's kind of the practical side. Mm. And again, I'm doing something completely different from what both Becky and Katie would have done. Uh, so Becky will have done a church placement elsewhere. But my course is slightly uh, more broad now. They're, they're trying to really expand the remit of what lay readers, uh, lay ministers are able to do. So uh, for anyone who was interested or was wondering, where did I suddenly disappear to earlier on this year um, when I was no longer at 9.30 between mm. sort of Christmas and Easter? I was actually on a pastoral context placement up at Kingston Hospital helping with the chaplaincy, uh, where I was there for uh, most Sunday mornings um, just basically helping out the chaplaincy, going around and visiting patients and um, finding out what it, what the role is of the chaplains uh, at the support of the local churches, how cool. other readers get involved. And yeah, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. It was amazing. And it was, it was something I was really terrified of doing. Mm. And I, I just can't be in a hospital around lots of people who are old and firm and dying. And um, but it was wonderful. It was one of those brilliant things I've ever done. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, but I'm hopefully as well this year going to be uh, doing a church placement somewhere else. So you're going to lose me again, I'm afraid. So I'm here for a few weeks. Be, I'm hoping to go to St John's Hampton Wick, uh, oh. which is the um, just the other side of Kingston Bridge. It is, it? yeah. yeah. I, was, I was particularly interested in going to a church plant to see what it'd be like because mm. yeah, it's the sort of thing. It's like somewhere outside my comfort zone. I always thought, how could I leave this big, wonderful church I'm at and sort of the concept I suddenly thought you know I, I couldn't go anywhere else I couldn't go to a smaller church and start up and I thought well if that's the thing which fear, scares me the most I should go and spend some time seeing what they're like uh, but yeah as you said it was a set up as a church plant between St Stephen's Twickenham and HTB Holy Trinity Brompton mm -hmm. and it's very much in that kind of HTB family so uh, HTB famous where the Alpha Course started for the home of uh, lots of contemporary Christian worship um, artists and sort of organisations uh, so yeah I'm hoping that will um, happen soon. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, you won't see me again for a few weeks, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, brilliant. Um, so well done on all of the many, many hours of hard work. It'll be our third reader, because yeah. there were 10 readers at 
Christchurch not long ago, and mm. then they what ten all at once? There were ten mm. all at once uh, when uh, Stuart Downey was vicar, mm. um, and then some moved away, some died, um, and then we had none, and then we had Katie, and then Becky, and soon Tim. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I would actually just say at this point, yeah, it's when I was younger, as Stephen said, we had lots of male, uh, lots of ladies, and they were predominantly all men in the late 50s and 60s. So I just always had this image of, you know, lay reader, old man, semi-retired, that's yeah, it. there was Hazel Haydensworth, um, was There was indeed, yep. um, down at St. John's. No, and no, here, she oh, she was here, yeah. Yep. And, yeah. and um, but it's, it's, if anyone is actually thinking that, I really want to explore a bit more, I feel like I want to, I'm being called to some sort of ministry or something, I'm not sure what it is. Um, at Southwark Diocese, there's a lot of opportunities throughout the year to go along and to what they call um, vocations forums. And it's a chance for you to think about and explore, am I being called perhaps to full ordained ministry like Stephen or perhaps for a lay ministry site? Now, I, wanna, I, I like my full-time job in my life, but I also feel like I'm called to serve God and church more. But really, really valuably is what they call spa ministry, Southwark Pastoral Auxiliary. And that is where uh, you're very much involved in the pastoral side of and Elspeth Coke is one. I thought for a church our size, with the amount of pastoral responsibilities that mm. the clergy have, and we're to have just one spa, we're crying out for people who I know are so, so gifted yep. in mm. loving care people. So if anyone wanted to think about that, have a word with uh, Stephen, Elspeth, yeah, and explore church, it. I've really, really good. four or five spas. I remember the vicar interviewing them once, and one had been a PE teacher, so he said, well, you're sporty spa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he went along, there was ginger spa. And <laughs> <laughs> I just find it weird that a church has five spas. <laughs> Where's the jacuzzi and yeah. the hot tub? Well, so. maybe. Um, nice. Do you need to train to be a spa? Yeah, you do. Yep. yep. But yep. it's only two years, I think. Okay, so it's yeah. not. It's quite a long time, but not quite not as, as long intensive, as being no. yeah. And it's not quite as It's a lot more practical training yep. as much as anything. Yep. Right, okay. Well, we wish you all the best with mm-hmm. your last little while. Um, and now we're going to move on to talk about our next subject, which is the third volume of the parish history. Um, so Stephen will have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think so far we've had two volumes. We have. One from ages ago and the yep. one from slightly less ages ago. That's right. Written by two <laughs> different people. You absolutely, you're very well informed, Anna. They've both got blue front covers. No, no. Oh, that's the first thing you said wrong. The first oh. one's red. Okay, the first <laughs> yeah. one's red. Hardback. Yes. Yep. The second one is blue, is and, paper blue and paperback, and it's got a picture spot on. on the front. Spot on, Anna. The hardback doesn't Clearly, have she's any been pictures. reading them. You uh, have uh, been studying them, haven't They're you? They're on a bedside well, table. Basically, <laughs> basically, the 150th anniversary of Christchurch is fairly soon upon us. December 1866, uh, Christchurch was completed in its original form, it uh, was uh, enlarged later on. So what basically, was happening in 1866, like just so people can. Uh, the Austro Prussian War. Happened in 1866, okay. which wa- which you know was a major thing in the uh, steps towards the unification of Germany, which was completed in 1871. So yeah, I had your heard answer. of that event. Uh, and basically, um, <laughs> well, December eight, uh, 2016 will be our 150th anniversary, and by a you know wonderful coincidence or god incidence, uh, the building work is due to finish then on mm. our new hall. So this new hall that we've waited for such a long time for is meant to be finished, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be, in December 2016. So our 150th anniversary celebrations can coincide with the uh, building completion of this new hall. And No um, pressure on the builders or anything? Yeah, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> but finish basi- it in time. But basically, it also seems a good opportunity to add a third volume to our parish history, because... 
The first volume of the parish history comes from 1866 or just earlier to 1952 and that was written by a man called William Authors and uh, that covers in great depth um, basically the uh, the times, you know, the nearly the first hundred years of Christchurch. And then uh, Olive Voller, who was a member of uh, Christchurch, who Tim might remember, I don't know, perhaps he doesn't. I remember but the she, name. She wrote a second volume from 1952 to 1982, and that climaxed in the building of the lounge, actually. The mm. whole account sort of basically reaches its climax in the building of the lounge, which was a massive project. Um, and uh, But we need something written about the last 30 years. And history is quite a passion of mine, but I felt really it's not the vicar's you know, role to write this sort of thing. So I approached one or two people uh, who all declined to do it. So in the end, rather than it not be done, I've decided to do it myself. Um, and I've already started collecting information for it. I, uh, church magazines have been part of the church for years and years and years. Now this podcast has more or less replaced them. Uh, but Contact Magazine was the name of the church magazine for years. Before that, it was known as New Morden Life. Before that, it was known as New Morden Messenger. And I've managed to get hold of most copies of this back to the 1940s. So wow. I've been reading through particularly the ones from the uh, 80s onwards. I've also found all the PCC Minutes uh, mm -hmm. since the early 80s, and I've been reading through them as well. Um, and uh, basically, this is going to form the outline of the third volume of the mm -hmm. parish history. But the thing that I want to particularly emphasise is that I think what makes history really interesting are people's stories and anecdotes. So what I'm going to be doing is, particularly once I've got a handle on the chronology of the last 30 years of Christchurch, which the magazines and the minutes are going to help me with, uh, I'm then going to go round and try and talk to everyone who's been uh, at Christchurch during those 30 years, both present members and past ones, and get their stories, because that's the really fascinating thing of history. Mm. So John Short, who was vicar of Christchurch in uh, the late 70s, right through to 1990, uh, when he got ill with encephalitis, nearly died. And it was a it was a huge moment in the history of the church. And I'm interested in hearing people's accounts of, mm. of what that period was mm. like when your vicar suddenly is mm. so seriously ill that he nearly dies. Mm. When the parish halls were burnt down, New Year's Eve, 1996, mm. uh, is again a sort of fascinating part, fascinating part of the Christian story. The fact that it was New Year's Eve, it's like, like an episode of EastEnders well, or something. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say, I was walking past the parish halls that night. You're, you're on one New of the Year's suspects. Eve, but I was, I was at least 15 minutes away, I don't know. <laughs> so, and there are various stories, some of them quite tragic, some of them very joyful. Mm. And what I want to do is to make this third volume of the parish history one that speaks with the voices of yeah. the people who lived through that mm. time. And the different perspectives, because you get the same yep. events, um, but seemingly you know, very differently experienced mm. by different people. Absolutely. Mm. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. You know, I read through both of those original parish histories uh, for an assignment that I did a couple of years ago. If there's any chance of them being reprinted at all, no, I think people found it fascinating. Yeah, it was, the plan, it was, basically. Are you going to print it as well, part of the same book? It's yeah. you know, real, as you were saying, the different events that's happened. You know, you'd see all these different groups which were meeting during the week and things. Mm. And you just don't, you know, it's, it's brilliant yep. seeing how we still keep these things going. Absolutely. And you see that Women's Own, uh, which mm. is still going strong, founded in 1946, by the then vicar's wife, Mrs. Mm. Bartle. And um, what I plan to do is, because uh, self-publishing is so much easier these days, and because particularly including photographs is going to be a lot easier, my plan is to republish the first volume and the second volume, as written, not to amend them, to include a lot more photographs, mm. because there's plenty of photographs that didn't make it into those two volumes, and in the second volume didn't have any. Um, and to add the third volume with that, 
perhaps to get someone from St. John's to write their account of the last 30 years. Mm. Um, and there's one bit particularly about building projects, which Tony Penny uh, has agreed to write. So it'll be a little bit of a composite uh, edition, uh, but hopefully it so will... So that's all going to be in one All in one book. volume, that's the plan. Okay. Yep. And what colour is the front cover going to be? Well, <laughs> I don't know, Anna. Perhaps you'll choose that. I think red. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Or should it, be, <laughs> should it involve all of the colours of uh, yeah. church strands, perhaps? I think Nathan's yeah. uh, graphic design yeah. Nathan's graphic The challenge is, isn't it? Somewhere, somewhere but I do think, you know, I do think <laughs> Black. from a serious point of view, that history uh, is really, really important. I mean, one just to give one example, uh, every generation of Christchurch's history, there's been a building project to mm. facilitate the mission of the church, and that is an amazingly... Uh, outstanding example of the commitment of Christchurch to mission. Mm. So the yeah. church is built in 1866. Uh, it's enlarged as Newborn grows in 1878. It's enlarged again in 1894. In 1900, a tin uh, building is put up as a temporary building, uh, and it lasts for 81 years. <laughs> 1920, the parish <laughs> halls are built. 1966, the vestry hall. Uh, 1981, the lounge. 2007, uh, the reordering of the interior of Christchurch. So you've had huge energy, and we, we, we owe so much to those who've gone before mm. in what they've passed on to us. So I think keeping those memories alive is mm. very important. And if you're going to have a, a title for this edition, is, is there, I was thinking something like the Good, the Bad, the Ugly? Or <laughs> 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 well, the second one's called Time and Eternity. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what the third uh, one will be called. But I think you know it's just important to get those stories recorded. Extra and time in eternity. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Full time. <laughs> right, well, moving swiftly on, um, we're going to look at our final topic on this month's show, which is what's coming up in mm -hmm. November. Um, so we've got something very exciting happening on the 21st of November, but before we speak about that, we'll just um, have a quick look at the preaching programme. So I think everybody has, has a copy. Um, so we have got, as you'll see, coming up in November, we've got four Sundays, five Sundays. Yes, because uh, the last Sunday in November is um, the beginning of Advent. But the first four Sundays are special Sundays. So um, the first of November is All Saints Day, um, but Stephen has called it All God's People Sunday here. So we'll, we'll find out why in a minute. Then after that, we've got Remembrance Sunday. Um, Stephen and Tim will both be preaching on Remembrance Sunday. Then after that, we've got Mission Sunday. And then we've got Vocation and Discipleship Sunday. So for very special Sundays coming up. But um, Stephen, if you could tell us a little bit about All Saints Day. Yeah. Um, why have you called it All God's People Sunday? Well, partly because of what we said earlier about, you know, wanting to get away from the medieval idea that some special people were saints and yeah. everyone else were souls uh, who would go to purgatory until they, you know, uh, done enough to get into uh, heaven, as it was understood. Um, I mean, basically, the reason why I came up with this series is because Mission Sunday was due to happen on the 15th of November, and it was Remembrance Sunday, the Sunday before. So I thought, we can't really have a series that sort of then stopped straight away. So I thought, will it being All Souls, All Saints Day, uh, it would be good to have a couple of uh, services at 9, 13, 11 that focus on well, what does it mean to be part of a church that isn't just Christ Church, but is, you know, crossing the whole of the world mm. and down the ages, and the significance of that being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, as Raja to the Hebrews puts it. Mm. Um, and then I got a phone call from, funnily enough, another ex-A-level uh, student of mine called Louise Ellis, who is uh, a vicar in Southwark, 
and um, she has just been appointed uh, to a role in the diocese uh, to encourage, as Tim was saying earlier, vocations and discipleship. And she asked if she could come and preach at Christchurch. Mm. So I booked her in for the 22nd. And uh, on the 22nd, Louise is going to come and encourage people to spa ministry, read a ministry, ordination, cool. and, and so on. So each of these Sundays is taking a different theme. Um, and, you know, they're all important in different so, um, ways. Who are the people coming to speak on Mission Sunday? Simon and Sue Yeah, well, French. I've got a personal connection with them as well, actually, because Simon and Sue French, uh, I got to know at my uh, previous church, mm-hmm. Emmanuel Church, South Croydon, and their missionary is in Tanzania, and they've been there for about 10 years. And Sue is godmother to my son, James, and I'm godfather to their daughter, Hannah. Um, and they're, they're close friends, and uh, they're going to come and talk about their work in Tanzania, and uh, encourage us to think about uh, overseas mission. Mm. And uh, Tim, you're speaking on Remembrance Sunday. Mm. Um, how are you <laughs> feeling about this? <laughs> um, initially, when I saw the preaching program come round, I just turned white and stayed that way. Do you get nervous when the preaching program comes around? Then? No, I get kind of that sense of antis- excitement. Like, oh, what's Stephen give me now? And then it's that. Were you expecting to be doing Remembered Sunday? No, I think I told Stephen that you know because I was planning on going on a church place. I wasn't expecting. Sort of involved in any of the preaching um, until sort of the next year, uh, and then punishment I gave. Yeah, and suddenly it's <laughs> like yeah. So, so I've learned the lesson: don't do a good sermon because you get rewarded with this. No, uh, Remembrance Sunday um, is an immense privilege to be able to preach at. Absolutely, and as daunting, I have to admit, a prospect as it can be, um, I think it's one of those Sundays where you know it. It as much as anything, it forces you from personal reflection as much as anything to um, think on that. And no, I'm looking forward to it very much. Um, and yeah, I think if anyone listening to this afterwards, you can judge for yourself how <laughs> successful it went. Um, but no, it should be fine. I'm sure with sufficient guidance from Stephen as well, I won't uh, cause too much. <laughs> no, it, it should hopefully be fine. I think it's a lot less difficult than it was even 10 years yeah. ago, Remembrance. I think 10 years ago, there was still, I think, quite a lot of assumption that to issue any any critique of warfare on that day was inappropriate. Mm. And I think there's been a big change. Even mm. veterans of the war, uh, the Second World War, today seem to expect some critique mm. of warfare. It's really interesting to, you know, I've been at this church 12 years, and when you're in one place for that amount of time, you realize you've seen significant change uh, culturally. And I think the effect of the war in Iraq has well, really- Well, yeah, we fight wars very differently now, don't we? Yeah, but I think it's reason. made everyone, without exception, question warfare a lot mm. more than would have been the mm. case before 2002 mm. yeah yeah i mean not without one sort of say too much what i was thinking of talking about my son but th- there is this almost tightrope you feel when you at church and remembrance sunday between you know as christians do we is our aim always peace and end of conflict and yet here we are remembering people victims of conflict and of course that's not such a difficult thing to reconcile but as you say you know the way war is fought now is so different you know how many people die in wars nowadays who are actual members of armed forces versus people who die in wars yeah. who are innocent civilians mm. and it's a staggering mm. and and i guess that's yeah. the difficulty because that's mm. the thing that uh subtly has been rolled into remembrance mm. this kind of will remember all soldiers all conflicts yeah. all and it's like you know it was one thing to remember uh, a historic war but you know, is there no room to critique these these modern wars we have for for every one? But also, it's really important to critique. Dies, there's there's a hundred. It's, it's really important to critique ground. those old wars too, though, because um, the people you know, who are fighting in them often critique them, don't yeah, they? Yeah, so I mean, I'm preaching mm. at nine thirty, and one of the things that 
you know, I've made clear on Remembrance in the past. I was brought up on British war films of the 50s and 60s, and they massively romanticised war, but what they also did was to um, tell only a very partial story. Mm. The Russians were never mentioned in those war films. So there was no hint that we defeated Hitler by making an alliance with someone who was arguably an even greater monster in Stalin. Mm. That was no part of any of the war films that I avidly watched and would know back to front as a kid. And so they, it wasn't so much they were untrue in what they affirmed, that was to some degree true, but it was what they omitted that was the real problem. Mm. Mm. I yeah. always uh, look forward to Remembrance mm -hmm. Sunday. I wrote my dissertation at university on um, on war memoirs, mm -hmm. um, particularly memoirs written by women. So it's uh, it's always been really interesting for me, but um, I think the women were often a bit more honest about uh, the harshness mm. and the difficulty and the cruelty of yep. war than a lot of the mm. men were able to be, um, I guess for fear of being seen as cowards. But there were, there were lots of very brilliant memoirs uh, mm. written by men as well who were against war. Um, mm. But we've got uh, another very exciting event coming up in November. Who killed the vicar? <laughs> yeah, talking about Christians being for peace and reconciliation. This is an assassination, so it's completely yes, different. We could just Halloween and sort of glorify <laughs> war, but you know, murder mystery is a quite <laughs> different matter. Wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's already been loads of excitement about this and lots of speculation about who the killer would be. Yeah. This was in real life. There are too many people it could be really yeah too many people with a motive with the real vicar so yes. we couldn't do we couldn't do a real life lots mystery. of people have misunderstood and they think that paying five pounds for a ticket <laughs> means they get to have a go at trying to kill the vicar but sadly that's not <laughs> i did say ladbrooks and high street had opened a book on come like who's most likely to yeah. do it so yeah they'll be disappointed there are some key suspects so Stephen, you are directing. I this. am. I am. Are you also acting in it? Not really. No. I. So you're not uh, being the dead vicar. No. I. I may do a little bit of narration at the start of mm. it, but. Um, but no. I, I. I. love directing, and I haven't directed anything for 15 years, and uh, it's something I used to really, really enjoy when I was a school teacher. So I jumped at the chance for us to do this murder mystery. It was Rod Sainsbury's idea. She's on the fun committee and came up with the idea. And then promptly left the country. Yeah, left the country yes. to go and She's work. She's back now. She's back now, yep. Um, but basically, rehearsals have already started. And Tim, and you're in it as well. We've got a great you? cast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're going to keep fairly quiet, Tim, aren't we, about the details? Uh, we are, yeah. I, know, I was actually wondering if when we did it, we, there might be a kind of, like, you'd keep the last chapter hidden from us. Yeah. And, so, and literally, until, like, the few days before, then we get to find out ourselves. Yeah. So we'd we'd have a very badly shows. rehearsed third act. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I've heard that murder mysteries can be done that way where the cast doesn't even know. Mm. In this case, uh, the first act is the one where the murder takes place. I don't think I'm giving too much away by saying that. Then people have fish and chips, which is Anna's idea. Yeah. Yep. Or chicken and chips, or saffaloy, or sausage. It was actually chips. Nathan's idea, but I'm, right. I'm just fine. the chicken, one who always texted you. <laughs> yeah, you're always worried, aren't you, about whether your ideas won't come off? So you normally went to success. You, <laughs> you admit that you know, like the Lego Movie, um, which was a success. Um, it still wasn't my idea, though. But I uh, take well, credit. <laughs> anyway, then we're having uh, Act Two, where uh, the uh, people investigating the murder get to work, and then people have puddings, and then uh, the third act reveals uh, the. Uh, those, you know, who are guilty. Mm. Is the vicar resurrected at the end? No, there is no resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> so it has a, a sad ending. <laughs> yeah, it, well, ultimately, at the, at the very end, we, we would hope. 
No, he's I'm dead forever. Far too. No, 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 he's, he's, he's a bad forever. man. Yeah, he, so. We found the most expendable member of the congregation. Yeah. <laughs> cast, cast him as the vicar. Well, I've just heard that uh, today that rehearsals have been booked when I'm going to be in the next room doing doing youth work. So I'm slightly <coughs> concerned. I'm I've got a ticket. I don't want to be no, Nathan. Knowing no how competitive, knowing how competitive you are, Nathan, you have got to make sure that you don't because I know you will love to win this but I know you'll also <laughs> want to win it fairly exactly so yeah, you're there's no have fun to in beating it I'll beat everyone but you, you, there's only fun yeah. in doing yeah. it if you we don't already, already know we're going to win because we've actually got a police detective on our team yep so well uh, okay I love your touching you're <laughs> touching <laughs> you're touching faith in the police yeah. service to solve murder <laughs> 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 can't say that on here yep no the so uh, no, it should be good fun we've yeah. got a great cast I mean we can tell you who the cast are the cast of Tim Davis, uh, mm-hmm. Pamela Warren, uh, James Kurt, um, Helen McKean, uh, Joe Hudson, uh, Jenny Stewart, John Cook, Rob, Shrimpton. Rob Shrimpton, uh, David Taylor, David Taylor. It's um, quite a big cast. It is ten, I think, in the cast. Joe mm. Hudson. Joe uh, Hudson, we mentioned, yeah. And they've all been cast in parts remarkably similar to their character. <laughs> Are they oh, all going to be offended to hear you say this? Yes. I was going to say also the village voice is very own. Oh, Jenny Stewart. I'd said her. Yeah, 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 you said Jenny Stewart. Yep, Jenny Stewart. So they're, and they're all very accomplished mm-hmm. actors and actresses. So it's good fun. And Sarah Parker and Catherine Black are uh, doing the sort of um, backstage stuff. So mm-hmm. getting our props and scenery and that sort you of thing. You having costumes? Yep. Fake blood? I don't know. Yeah. You've made well, me think it's fish and chips. There'll be ketchup <laughs> around. Yeah. And there'll be accidental spills. But it's all done in the best possible there. taste. <laughs> As a great man once said. Yeah. We, we didn't doubt it. <laughs> Well, um, if you are interested in um, in buying a ticket, for oh the yeah, it's the three line whip. Um, mm-hmm. It's five pounds per ticket, and you can get them on Sundays. I think at any of the services, you can get them. Yep. Or you can um, come and get them from the office through the week. Yeah, Joy Davis has already bought. I think wasn't she, she the first to buy a ticket? She particularly yeah, likes she was, murder. Yeah. yeah. If you <laughs> <laughs> if you want to if you want to uh, like arrange a table, how many people is there a rule to is how many eight people to a table? Well, we I were going to use the tables for scenery. Because uh, we wanted oak panelling, but now we've found something better. So the tables have now... Be, we realise no one would have anything to eat on. So <laughs> the tables have gone back to their original that's use. Probably a good so idea. I reckon about eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what you, is that you don't need tables. to be a full team to buy no, tickets. They no, do. No, you can no, just join a team all. on the yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. is there a cut-off point when people need to board a ticket and told you what their fish and chips, chicken chips, whatever order is? We're not that organised, Tim. Oh, right. I'm sure. I'm sure there is a cut-off date. Half the fun committee are involved in the don't cast. Don't put it off. Well, there's, uh, I guess there just will in be case, an yeah, don't put it off. Buy a ticket so, um, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Do do get them as soon as you can. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's it's going to be good fun. Yeah, I can't wait. That's all we've got time for this month on Look Who's Talking. But do remember that for more information about Christchurch, you can visit our website, ccnm.org. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christchurch New Malden. And you can follow us on Twitter at CCNM News. But that's all from us. See you next month.